My name's Eric. Uh, again, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, thanks for spending some of your, uh, your valuable time with us. Uh, today, we're kicking off this fall series that we're calling How to Be Human. And what we're going to be doing is walking through these very, very, very old scriptures uh, in the book of Exodus that popularly are known as the Ten Commandments. And we're just going to sit with every one of the commandments and kind of see what they might have to say for us today. Can we get the lights up just a little bit just so I can see everybody in case somebody throws something at me? I can see who does it. Um, so uh, what we're going to do is, is just settle into these things. And, and I don't remember at what point I had the idea to, to do this, but it was sometime in the last six weeks. I was just sitting around one morning and trying to figure out like where our community could go and where we could take people, where, where people might be curious about God. And I started to think about these Ten Commandments. And, and I think it's really, really easy for us to look at something that is just uh, these Ten Statements and if I really wanted to be cruel, I would, I would sort of have a little survey to see if anybody could recite all 10, but you probably couldn't, so I don't want to disappoint both of us. Um, but there's this thought that like something as basic as 10 commandments can't possibly teach us anything today, right? That life is, is much more complex than, than surely 10 commandments, and that happened so many years ago that surely the Ten Commandments can't speak to our modern life. And as I thought about it more and more, I was like, man, I actually think it's exactly the opposite. And I think there's something for me that, are just, that is just so uh, compelling about these 10 broad um, commandments we're going to call them, but I think we're going to find out really, really soon that that's not the best label for them. Um, but these 10 invitations... I think are, are so critical to what it means to be a human being and a person living in the world today. I actually want to start not with the text that, that Connor read, but I want to kind of work our way backwards. So if you have a Bible and, and you want to open it up to Matthew chapter 11, I want to start with this statement that Jesus makes that is just one of my favorite things that he ever says. Um, in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus makes this statement. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Does that sound like good news to anybody today? Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Now, what I want you to know is when Jesus has this phrase that says, put on my yoke, um, what he's referring there to is a, a first century reference. Jesus is Jewish and, and uh, Jewish spiritual teachers are known as rabbis. And every rabbi in the ancient world had a yoke. That's what they called sort of their perspective on the Bible, their perspective on God, their perspective on life. And so Jesus is saying in, in the same way that another rabbi in the first century would say, Put on my yoke. Jesus is a rabbi and he's saying, listen to me, if you want to follow me, put on my yoke. And a yoke, it was a very intentional reference to, to the, 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 the piece of wood or the, that you would use to like carry water, put on your shoulders. And, and a yoke can sound like uh, something that could be very, very heavy, but a yoke is a tool. It's a tool for, for, for getting things that might be too heavy to carry just with your arms. You can carry more with a yoke. And it's a good thing. 
And so Jesus says, listen, I've got a yoke. I've got a way of looking at the Bible. I've got a way of looking at the world. And he's telling his followers, you should put mine on, pick up my yoke because um, you'll find rest under this yoke. All right, so with that in mind, what I wanna do is, is show you uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, which is a sort of a biography story of Jesus. We have four of them in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That comes from Matthew 11. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus' yoke really comes from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, which we would call, if you've hung around church, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, you actually know that what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he actually expands and makes commentary on the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. And so in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has a direct line from what he's saying about the world back to these Ten Commandments. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So Jesus says, listen, um, there is a continuity, if you will, a continuity between these very old words and this life that Jesus is offering his disciples and that he still offers us today. So uh, what I wanna do before we move on is I wanna show you how this verse reads in a uh, paraphrase of the Bible, something called the message that a guy named, a pastor named Eugene Peterson did. Let me show you what this reads like in, in the message version. Uh, Jesus, are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion, come to me. Jesus says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And again, remember, he's talking about how he lives out the 10 commandments amongst other things. And then this beautiful phrase, learned the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I think that is the essence of the Jesus life for me. That Jesus doesn't come to us and, and actually God doesn't come to us to burden us, to weigh us down. Uh, the commandments, even the 10 commandments are actually designed to help us live freely and lightly. And that phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace, is so beautiful to me. There's such an invitation in there because some of us, let's face it, we might have grown up in a, in a faith tradition that was like anything but unforced. It was forced rhythms of like dread and shame. Like work your tail off and make sure you don't screw up or God's gonna hammer you. And Jesus is actually portraying a completely different life there. How do you get to the unforced rhythms of grace? And, and what Jesus is describing there to me is just like, if you've ever just, like, just been in the flow of something where if, if, you, if you're an athlete or an art, artist or you're just really, really good at what you do, when it's, everything's just flowing and you don't even feel like you're working, everything's just falling into place. Anybody ever been there? And, and everything you do just seems to be pouring out of you and it's effortless. Jesus is saying that's what life can be like. That's what the spiritual life can be like. And he's drawing a direct line to the Ten Commandments. And so as we get into this, um, what I wanna throw out to you guys and throw out to all of us are that these commandments, um, 
should not be burdensome. That they are actually invitations to learn unforced rhythms of grace. And that we might uh, have, have grown up thinking of these things as like rules and don't break the rules, but there's so much more than that. Jesus is saying there's a life buried in the Ten Commandments that if you just walk with them and work with them and practice them, what you'll start to find is that life just starts to flow. And there's an unforced grace that just kind of is with you. So that's where we're going. The question is, like, what does the unforced rhythm of grace look like and how do you get there? And, and what I want to uh, suggest to you is uh, I, I stumbled across this phrase uh, recently. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it. It is um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Anybody ever heard this? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I don't know where the phrase exactly came from, but um, I'm pretty enamored, actually, if, which might seem strange to you guys. I'm pretty enamored with, like, uh, the elite armed forces of, of, of our country and of the world, uh, uh, the Navy SEALs. And, 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 and there is a, I am enamored of them because of how seriously they take their work and how uh, they try to perform everything they do at such a high, high, high level. And this phrase I actually heard in the context of listening to an, a, a commandant of the commander of the Navy SEALs talk about how they train. So when they're learning um, to clear a, a house or when they're learning to navigate some kind of new weapon system, everything is, it is like gut-wrenchingly slow, step by step. They don't try to like rush through a, a training exercise. They don't try to embrace something and just go, okay, here we go, Boo! like, all right, we got it. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. They identify every movement to how to like reload or clear a jam out of a firearm. Every single gesture is examined because the smoother those gestures become, uh, the more likely that when it is time and when it, is, when it matters, they are fast and they are smooth and they can accomplish the mission. So what, what does this have to do with the Ten Commandments? Uh, the Ten Commandments to me are the basic movements of spirituality. They're these simple elemental gestures that if we can start to practice them slowly, we can reduce some of the friction of our lives. Now, we don't just kind of embrace them all and go, okay, I got the Ten Commandments. I'm just going to go out and learn them all and do them all in one day, and I'm going to be awesome. We take them slow. We take them one at a time. We take them in small bite-sized chunks, and we, and we examine the gestures that we make in order to reduce friction of our lives, and then we start to pick up the pace. And I believe over time, our life starts to resemble an unforced rhythm of grace. An unforced rhythm of grace. And I don't know if this is obvious, uh, not yet, but listen, grace does not, if you're a person of faith, grace does not just appear in the New Testament. Grace doesn't just show up on the first page of the New Testament. Grace is God's business. And it flows throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
And so when we talk about the Ten Commandments and we talk about the God behind the Ten Commandments, that's a God of grace too, okay? All right, so we're clear, awesome, good to go. You can still go get to another church if you want to, if you don't want to, if you don't want to be here. But if you're going to stay, we're going to start now, okay? So listen, um, I'm going to start out with just some basics of the Ten Commandments. Because I'm, I'm setting up the whole 10 today, and then we're going to talk about the first one as well. So let me get you some basics of the Ten Commandments, starting with number one. The phrase, the Ten Commandments, never appears in the Bible. Never appears. And your, the little section headings don't count. So don't be like, it says Ten Commandments in the heading. Those didn't exist in the original. Um, and this is where I wanted to say, actual, the word, actually, the word commandment isn't really there in the Hebrew. It's much more in Hebrew, like the 10 instructions. Literally, it's the 10 words. The 10 words that God gives us. It, and the phrase, the commandments actually never appear. We actually just kind of picked it up and ran with it over hundreds and hundreds of years. But that's why I want us to kind of push back on the, on the idea that, these, that this section of scripture is all about rules that you're not supposed to break. It's more about 10 instructions that God gives you on how to live a great human life. So the phrase never appears in scripture. Uh, the next thing, there are what we call, what I would call vertical components and horizontal components. In other words, uh, God says some things about how you're supposed to conduct your relationship with him. But then the commandments also address how you're supposed to deal with other people. And actually, in actuality, if you read the Ten Commandments, start to beginning, uh, start to start to end, um, they start with literally the Lord your God, and then the last phrase usually is your neighbor. So the Ten Commandments start with "I am the Lord your God," and then the very last statement of the Ten Commandments is your neighbor. And so there's a there's a flow from the vertical to the horizontal. Um, now, relatedly. Um, as we get into this, uh, scholars have disagreed over like how to break them up, like which, which ones are purely vertical, which ones are purely horizontal. And actually, uh, I want to, before I forget, do you know that there's certain ways that you don't even get uh, 10 commandments? Like sometimes the rabbis actually said there's actually 13. So you can group these things together differently. And different strands of the Christian faith, Catholicism, Lutheranism, um, Eastern Orthodox, they will separate them into different groups. Like number one might be one sentence in one stream of the faith. It might be two sentences in the other. So I just want to kind of throw the idea out that, that, that scholars have been uh, exploring the Ten Commandments for a long, long, long time. So the vertical components and the horizontal components. Now, this is really, really interesting to me. I want to show you a picture of a guy, of an author named uh, Jonathan Haidt. That's him. Uh, he gave a TED Talk. He's a psychologist. He wrote this book called The Righteous Mind, which is probably one of the most important books I've read over the last five years. Now, listen, for those of you guys who know me, listen, pause on that. It's one of the most important books I've read over the past five years. And it, it points the way, uh, I believe, to how we can have more productive conversations about the things that are dividing us in our country. 
But that's not really why uh, I address him this morning. Um, the reason I reference him is hates a psychologist and he traveled the world to look at the way people construct like morality and, and religion and, and their concepts of, of what life looks like. And what hate discovered is that um, there are three frameworks broadly that different cultures will use to think about, to orient themselves around life. And they are autonomy, divinity, and community. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit. So in our culture, autonomy is highly, highly valued. Individual freedom in our culture and in, in, in Western European culture is very, very important. But the rest of the world does not hold the same value as that. So there are, there are certain cultures in the world that were actually like this, the, um, the idea of divinity and where God is and how you orient yourself to God and how sacred and how holy you are. There are cultures that hold that higher than individuality. And then there are other cultures that actually would say how you orient yourself to the group, your family, that's the most important thing. The reason this connects with me is that... Uh, the Ten Commandments sort of address all of this because the Ten Commandments say, listen, I'm gonna give you 10 instructions. And God says, there's stuff about divinity here, how you orient yourself to God. But there are things about how you orient yourself to community. And the autonomy comes in with the choices you make in regards to those things. And, and it just, it reminds me of how universal the Ten Commandments are. That God just sets out and it's almost like he said, listen, I want to find principles that can apply to the whole world. Not just North America, not just Asia, not just Europe, not just uh, India, but everywhere. Somebody can find something in the 10 that they connect with, but they can also find something that challenges them. Anybody? All right. So um, there's a horizontal and a vertical component to them both. The third thing about the 10, the basics are, they are for God's people first. Now, this is going to challenge some of us because, listen, uh, God says in, in Exodus 19, let me just read this to you. Uh, he says this before he unveils the tent. He says, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I lifted you up on eagle's wings and brought you to me. And he says, now, so if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples. Since the whole earth belongs to me, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then the 10 follow out of this. And the reason this is challenging to some of us and the reason uh, it's a good reminder is to say, listen, um, the 10 commandments uh, are not always, we can't always expect the whole of culture to be held to the 10 commandments. And, and even though I believe wholeheartedly in the Ten Commandments and I believe wholeheartedly that they're the best way to live, listen, it's directed first to me as a, as a child of God, to the nation of priests. God's saying, listen, I'm gonna make you a nation of priests and this is how you're supposed to behave. There's a whole big old world out there. They're gonna live by their own laws. And so for me, it's a reminder uh, that there are battles that the church uh, chooses to fight sometimes. We fought battles, oh, should the Ten Commandments be uh, uh, posted up in a court of law? Well, again, as a Christian, I would say they're the best way to live. 
but I also believe in the separation of church and state. And so maybe, even though it's important to me, maybe I should look inside and say, am I living by the Ten Commandments? Because I'm a child of God. Not am I trying to hold other people accountable to a, a way of living that they're not even on to yet. So it's for God's people first. And then uh, in this statement is, uh, is the fourth basic thing that we have to get right before we go forward. And it is when he says, uh, go back to that just for a second, Matt. He says, listen, I, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. The fourth thing about the commandments that we have to get right is they're never separated from the story of grace. It's never separated from the story of grace. It is significant to me that freedom comes first, then the instructions. The instructions are never set up to say, once you live up to these things, then I'll set you free. Once you're good enough, then we'll get rid of the Egyptians. God says, no, remember, remember what I did to the Egyptians? I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. And now, here are the instructions. And that's just another reminder of me to say, listen, God doesn't give me these things as rules to adhere by so that I can be good enough so that he'll love me. His grace has preceded the commandments. I live in that grace. I breathe in that grace right now. And God's simply saying, listen, in light of what I have done, here are 10 words of instructions that would, should inform how you might want to live your life. And before we go, I want to remind you guys, um, and this is kind of a detail, but it's kind of critical. Um, anybody, Sunday school time, anybody remember who led God's people out of slavery? Moses. One of the things that Moses receives and then passes on to the people of God is God's Listen, I think sometimes we forget this, is God's personal name. Anybody remember this? At the burning bush, God says, my name is, and we would, uh, we would say it nowadays as Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. That is God's personal name. It is not the Lord. It is literally His name name. And God doesn't give that name to anybody else in the world except his people. That's how much he loves us and loves them. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you who I am personally. None of this most high stuff, even though it's there. Yes, I am most high. Yes, I am sovereign. Yes, I created everything. But you know what? I'm also Bob. Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him as grace and love and mercy. So those are the basics. That's why I think the 10 commandments have something for us. Because I think we can all use a little advice on how to be a human being in the world, how, how best to live out the life that God is calling us to. Oh, so with that in mind, what I wanna do is turn uh, our attention to the first commandment 
um, and, and we, we heard it in, in the words that Connor read. Again, the scriptures say uh, this, God spoke all these words. Again, not 10, doesn't say 10, it says God spoke all these words. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then this is the first one as we're going to embrace it. You must have no other gods before me. Now again, a lot of other traditions, they, they, mar they marry this one with the following statement about uh, images together. But um, for one reason or another, we're gonna, we're gonna stop right here and next week we're gonna talk about creating images and what that has to do with life. Uh, and the, so the sermons are gonna kind of, uh, you know, intertwine a little bit. But we're gonna start with the idea of no other gods before God. No other gods before Yahweh. So again, it's easy to say, okay, here come the rules. I get it. Here come the rules. But I think there is something um, to explore in what God is getting at. Remember, he's already said he's different. He has given his personal name. And then he says, listen, don't have any other gods before me. So what we're talking about here is... Um, what does this mean for the Israelites? But really, what does it mean for us? And so real quick, uh, I just want to kind of lay this thing out. If you, uh, if you lived in the ancient world, you were maybe a farmer, uh, you had some crops that you had to plant. The, the crops needed what for, for growth? They need sun, they need rain, right? Just basic things. You're going to look up in the sky where the rain comes from or where the sun is, and even before there's a, a Moses or a Yahweh, you're going to look up there and go, man, if I don't get these crops to grow, my family won't eat and won't survive. And so somewhere along the way, you know, somebody just started saying, well, maybe I ought to offer, offer something to the sky. Because, because maybe I should just bring something to them so that I can ensure that the rain will fall and the sun will shine. And they just did that. And then sometimes the, the rain would come and the sun would shine and the crops would grow, but sometimes they wouldn't. And then sometimes if they wouldn't, what you would do is, I, I guess I better give a, a little more. Maybe I didn't give enough. So you go and get a little bit more of whatever you would bring. And then sometimes it would grow and sometimes it wouldn't grow. Sometimes the sun would come, sometimes it wouldn't. And every time it didn't, what you would be inclined to do is what? Go back and say, I guess I should give just a little more, right? I guess I should just give a little bit more because if I don't give it and the crops don't grow, I don't live. My family doesn't live. And we would go, man, what a primitive way to live, except that we do the same thing. You see, when you start talking about no other gods before you, the first thing you would say is like, listen, ask yourself, what fills your needs? You see, that's, that's what was happening uh, in, a, in a very basic level. What fills your needs for security? Well, the crop's got to grow. So up there in the sky, that's the thing that fulfills my needs. What fills my needs for, for friendship and relationship and affection? And what fills my need to have some kind of awareness of just where I stand with other people? Do they like me? And this is where we can start to see that like in an everyday sort of way, listen, it's real easy to have other gods before Yahweh. 
because I think we talked about this recently. If I sat down with you and you sat down with me and we started examining, listen, what do you use to fill your need for friendship? What do you use to fill your need for security in the world? After we got by the Sunday school answer of, oh, it's Jesus all the time. Here's, here's what I would ask, maybe. Let's, let's, let, me, let, me, let me explore this. Anybody keep your calendar on your, on your cell phone? Pull it out. Pull out your phone if you have it. If you have it and you pulled up your calendar, I would ask you, what's your calendar look like next week in terms of where you're spending like your time and your focus. Because that's the other way to find out where God falls amongst the other gods. The way I would ask you is like, where does your time, your talents, and your treasure flow? Because we could say Jesus and give the Sunday school answers all day long, but if I looked at your calendar and there was like this much Jesus and about this much bar time or sports time or... Netflix time or whatever time, I would suggest to you that maybe those things are filling a need a little bit more than God. And this is on the everyday level. Where do your time, your talents, your treasures, where do they flow? Because where they flow, like you're still saying, listen, I need the crops to grow. I need the bank accounts to get filled. I need the mortgage to be paid. I need to be, uh, I need to be secure in my relationships. And so what I just need to do is make sure they flow to the God, except now it's not necessarily up in the sky. And if it doesn't work out, what do I need to do? Give just a little more. To give just a little more. And so I hope that I'm being really, really clear. This no other gods before me thing is not just an ancient world situation. We still struggle with it now. Where does our time and our talents and our treasures flow to? So um, real quick, <laughs> I want to say, if you find yourself in this situation, what do you do about it? All right. Uh, and, and you know me, I'm kind of a conceptual guy. Uh, sometimes I struggle with the practical things, but I'm going to try and be as practical as I can be right now. So uh, turning away from other gods, if you, if you find yourself and you're like, man, Eric, you don't even have to, we don't even have to do the Sunday school talk. I'm just going to tell you. My time and my talents and my treasures, they flow this direction. I'm going to say, and, but you say, but tell me how to turn back. I would say, listen, well, first, um, monitor how your needs are being filled. Monitor how you're filling that need. Because listen, most of us, it's not going to happen once. You're going to turn, and then in a month, listen, what it means to be human is that you might find yourself back in that place where you're like, oh man, they're flowing this direction again. Monitor the direction they're going. And, and guess what? I don't know if you guys know this, but you can control your calendar. You can control your money. You can control how you spend your talents. And, and, and uh, there's another thing in here. I would also add uh, time, talents, treasures, and what preoccupies your mind. And I think it's especially important to remember as we have these things called midterm elections coming up. 
And uh, I had a, another local pastor say this once. He said, listen, in America, politics are a god. We specialize in, in North America in the god of politics. Politics ain't going to save you, people. Yahweh says, no other gods before me. So as we get closer to November, where's your, where's your mind going? Where's your time going? Where's your talents? Where's your treasures going? And listen, redirect them, redirect them. You control them. Give it back to God. Channel your time to God. Channel your resources to God. Channel, not because he needs it, but because he is already given himself. He's already set you free. You don't have to earn his love. You just say, thank you. So monitor how your needs are being filled. The second thing, share the struggle. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Just name it. Have a friend and just say, I got to tell you, man, um, I feel my need for affection, you know, by this ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend that I know I really shouldn't be going back to, but I just do because it's a need. Name it. I've got a problem, you know, a friend. I've got a problem. I've got an addiction. I spend way too much money on this thing, but it fills my needs for security because I just feel good. And just share it. You have to name it. Bring it onto the table. The third thing, we already talked about this, redirect the flow of time. In other words, just find a new habit. But find a habit that makes Yahweh the God that you're pointing towards instead of whatever it is that you've put before him. Redirect your time, your talents, your treasures, your mind. And then the fourth thing, Let's find a community. I was reading this book this week uh, called The Power of Habit. And uh, the guy, um, the author is just examining how people change their lives and how they make sub substantive change. Even people who have just had really deep uh, challenges and struggles with addictions. And one of the key components of changing your life is finding a group of people that help you believe that change is possible. Because you might say, listen, I have got an idol, a God, another God before Yahweh, and I'm having trouble even seeing if change is possible. Listen, we've got these things called growth groups. And once a week, you can sit down with somebody who's just like you. And you can hear how other people are struggling, but also finding ways to succeed in faith. And that key component, the author found, of literally finding people that help you believe that you can make a change in your life is critical for making the change. So monitor how your needs are being filled. Name it with somebody. Redirect the flow. And then find a community that you can just listen around and go, I'm not all the way there. But man, you, you people are, are, aren't, aren't all that special. You're, you're kind of crazy just like me, but you're getting this faith thing down and now I'm starting to believe that maybe I can get it down too. That's the beauty of what community can do in this context. Now, last couple minutes we have left. Here's, the, here's, here's what I haven't addressed yet. Because you can listen to all this and you can say, yes, Eric, I get it. It still sounds like a giant buzzkill. 
Because some gods and some idols are fun, are they not? Do not make me the only person that says this. <laughs> Listen. Listen. Listen, if, if, if sin wasn't so occasionally entertaining, we wouldn't do it all the time. So in a way, you can listen to this, you're like, okay, yeah, but it just sounds like one big rule, one big buzzkill that says, oh yeah, here comes that God that says, don't do this. Here's what, here's what I would just say. Listen, I think God knows, um, I think God knows what's good for us. Because what I've come to believe over my relatively short period of time on this earth, longer than a lot of you guys, but shorter than others, is that over time, whatever gods we worship, we come to resemble. Listen, whatever gods you worship, you will come to resemble. So you give your time, your talents, your treasure to laziness. That God of laziness will take everything you have and ask for a little more until that's your life. If it is lust, if it is greed, if it is anger, if it is rage, the gods you pursue, all they ask is ever just a little more. And here's the other thing that gods do, just by their nature. Gods provide the foundational framework for your existence. If you worship a god of anger, anger defines your existence. You see the world in terms of anger. If you see the world in terms of greed, then that frames your existence. I better get everything I have before somebody else grabs it. So when God says, don't have any other gods before me, he's not doing it to kill your joy. He is saying, listen, there are gods out there and all they'll ever ask for you is a little more and what they'll get from you is your very life. You'll just become angry. You'll just become greedy. You'll just become lustful. But what does this God offer? This God offers freedom for slaves. He says, remember how I carried you up on eagle's wings. This God says, listen, the essence of following me is loving me, but also loving other people. And if I have to connect the dots anymore, he's saying, the more you give to me, the more you provide, let me be the foundational framework of your being, the more you will love me, but the more you'll love other people. That's where he wants to take you. So the bottom line of this thing is not to provide a barrier by which if you step over it, you're a bad person. God is trying to say, I'm offering you a life full of love. And it's my nature to give without asking anything in return. That's grace. And he's saying, if you don't put any other gods before me, that is what I will offer you. And that is what you can become. And that's what we've signed on uh, here at E3. The invitation for people to become loving like God. So, um, what I've uh, decided to do is uh, at the end of every gathering during this series, we're, we're going to read 
um, however far we've gotten in the commandments, we're going to read them together as a statement, as a statement, sort of a, a, a commitment to each other. And so uh, I'm going to ask us to stand up now and, um, and we're going to affirm that we want to be humans as defined by the Ten Commandments. And then after we read this together, I'm just going to pray and send us out. But uh, this is the way I wrote um, this week. And so it's uh, sort of restated from our point of view. And there's an invitation to just say, like, wherever you're at today, if this reflects the desire of your heart, you can start now. You can start now. And then you can walk out of here and you can just start saying, man, I need to keep just not having other gods before Yahweh because not because he wants me uh, to not uh, step over the line, but just because he wants me to be a person that loves him and loves the rest of the world. Let's read this together. Yahweh, you are our God of grace and mercy. You forgive our sins and invite us into your kingdom. We desire to trust you above all else to fulfill our needs and we desire to respond by giving back to you because you have given to us first. Amen.